I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Celtics Pod podcast. Bit of a treat for you. We got the free man wave. Now, this is where you insert the crowd cheering noise that I do not have access to, but you can just imagine that's what's happening right now. What's going on, Will? What's going on, Greg? How you living? Hey, what's going on, Adam? Happy New Year. Good to talk to you again, my man. I haven't spoke to you since the turned New Year's, man. That's it. I need the story. I heard that Greg went out, you know, Greg went and got some food. He, he's back home, curled up with a, you know, old man robe, most likely, just uh, <laughs> living that aged life. What about you, man? I know you're the party animal. Where were you at? Oh, man. Well, uh, you know health and safety is coming for us all. So I was in the beginning, I was in the beginning stages of entering health and safety protocols. I actually, so Mm -hmm. I was in, uh, we talked about this briefly last time I was on, I was in El Paso, Texas, which weirdly enough, so all of Texas, this will probably, this is another weird little like American time zone thing. So all of the state of Texas is in central time zone, except for El Paso, which is actually in the mountain time zone. So it's an hour behind where Greg and I typically live. And so I was starting to get the symptoms that that placed me in health and safety. And so that night, I honestly, like I was trying to make it to midnight mountain time. When it hit 11 p.m., I looked at my girlfriend. We were like, yo, let's just pretend like we're still in Austin. It's midnight. Happy New Year. And I went to bed. I was in bed before midnight, man. Like your your boy was not feeling it. There has definitely been no party in over here. Um, but yeah, so it was a, it was a very different new year's compared to, uh, what I heard of from, from Greg out here in Austin. So Greg on some real stuff some though, trauma? man. Yeah. I got, I got some Shoreman point, which is, well, you know, Shoreman point, right? Oh, Shoreman point's fantastic. I heard, I heard that before. A <laughs> little, little, little disappointing. You went with white people spicy though. Come on, man. Like, I you know, know, I, I go with know. The tan. Was, go with the tan spicy. At least you don't, don't, don't got to go, yo, full brown people spicy, but go tan spicy. Have you I need to like, uh, I'm there like, yo, give me the hottest thing you've got and I'm going to tough it out. I'm t- I'm telling you, Adam. The, the it's legit. Like it's I love I love I love spice. My girlfriend loves spice. Like we don't we don't we don't mess with that. Uh, so with the have you guys ever seen the show Hot Ones? Yeah, yeah. I love Hot Ones. Oh, yeah, Hot great. Ones is so good. So I I honestly think the brown people spicy at Shawarma Point would would be like the second to last one. Like it's that spicy because I can have like a habanero hot sauce, which I've looked up is like usually in the six, six figures for um, whatever, whatever the Scoville scale. Yeah, the Scoville scale. So like a habanero hot sauce, which definitely like leaves your mouth tingling. And it's like if you just have a lot like copious amounts of habanero hot sauce on just like a hard boiled egg, which is a thing that I did today, um, like your, your mouth will just be burning. Yes. What I just ate before I came on here. This is how weird I am right now. I had a hard-boiled egg, dipped in habanero hot sauce, and then afterwards I had a glass of chocolate milk. I don't know that, what I'm doing these days. That's not even a diet, dude. That's just <laughs> like, that's like, yo, there's food in the house. I'm, I refuse yeah. to cook, so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to go shopping. I, yeah, I live in Texas, so I'm just going to put this egg on on a on a dish or a plate and just leave it outside for an hour. It's going to be cooked. Now I'm just going to start dipping it. Well, I needed I needed a little snack because dinner is gonna have to it's gonna have to happen after this podcast. So I couldn't really like just make something. I didn't want to have anything like too substantial where I'd be burping the whole pod. 
So I just, there were hard boiled eggs in the fridge. I just grabbed one. I don't like a normal hard boiled egg. I love that hot sauce. So I said, why don't I just put the hot sauce on it? It was delicious. You guys ever seen Arrested Development when they, when they call uh, Anne, like plain, plain Anne, like May and egg yeah. because, <laughs> because she just puts mayonnaise on her hard boiled eggs. Like so that's I what I ask- felt like, except it was habanero hot sauce. I need to ask. So I, I, how can I put this? I rationalize having copious amounts of chocolate milk in my house due to the fact that, you know, there's an 11 year old walking around the house. Lucky guy. <laughs> uh, how, how do you rationalize having chocolate milk in the house? It's delicious. It's a great post workout uh, protein drink. Um, when I was in high school, my dad, when he would pick me up from like football practice or something like that, uh, he used to drive home me and my buddy, Ted Barry, who, who's a guest on, uh, on Will and I's other pod. And he used to bring us Nesquik every single day. He was such a good man. Also, my dad's birthday today. Happy 63rd birthday, Charlie Manakis. Hey, shout out, Charlie. Shout out, Charlie. Never met you. Happy birthday, my guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, when, when you, Adam, when you come to Boston, if you need a place to stay, my dad got you with a guest room in, our, in the house I grew up in. Yeah, I appreciate that, man. I've got two trips coming this year, this season, between now and 2023 i expect to be in boston <laughs> twice one of the times is mainly because my little my daughter really really wants to go to salem so um oh, okay so i'm like yeah a little halloween trip maybe little yeah salem yeah like um yeah. last time so we went to last time we was in los angeles we were there for halloween um and then we promised that a year after we'd go to salem and then covid hit and then covid never went away so it's like Yo, like you know, she's still like, yo. When do we get to go to Salem? I want to go see. I want to. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm like, whenever the Boston Celtics are playing in Salem, she don't understand. Yeah. I'm like, uh, we'll, we'll go to Salem, and then I think now she's got older. She's like, Dad, the Celtics don't play in Salem. There's no. <laughs> she's like, <laughs> that's I've looked like, at. Yeah, that's that's like the new pigs will fly in your household. Whenever pigs fly, <laughs> whenever yeah. She's like, but she's like, Dad, I looked at the list of teams, and there's not one called the Salem something. <laughs> she's like, see, you haven't me. You, you're lying to me here. Now, what she didn't know is that Jalen Brown, when it's dropped a 50 burger, she wouldn't understand what a Jalen Brown 50 burger is. Talking about food, we can continue with the food for a moment. He you was cooking. some habanero hot sauce on that. Yeah. So, <laughs> so he was cooking, right? Like, But what was he What was he cooking with? What, like, come on. That, that, Definitely not what Greg's eating. Yeah, not what. No one's cooking with what Greg's eating. Breakfast <laughs> champions? <laughs> That's not breakfast, dude. But like, if we had to liken his his game to food, what would it be? Because there was a lull in the middle. So it started okay, then it went off the boil, and then it came back strong. So it's gonna have to be something with like a mean aftertaste. Okay, so uh, Will, I, I feel like you got something cooking in that brain of yours. I'll let you go first. I, I don't really because I'm, well, I'm trying to think of like if we're trying to look for just one specific food or like maybe it was a little bit because to your point, Adam, like like it, it comes like so I'm thinking of like maybe it was like a like a four course tasting menu or something. Okay, like that. okay. You know how about I mean? the, how about this? Will? Something along those lines. Go ahead. It it's a date, right? It's a date at a restaurant. And it starts off like really bad. Maybe the conversation's not flowing. It's a little awkward at first. Like you get a bad appetizer and like you're at a restaurant and maybe you're expecting bread, but you're in a new region of the country. And instead of bread, they give some sort of other appetizer. Maybe you don't even get any bread. And you're just like, is this really what's happening? Like, do I, do I want to leave this restaurant? But then you guys kind of like bond over how bad the meal is. And then by the end, Maybe it finishes with like a fire dessert conversations flowing. Maybe the drinks are flowing and maybe, you know, end of the night, it's a, it's an end, end of the night special for, for you and uh, your date. 
You know what? I, I, I kind of vibe with that because I feel like you don't always get dessert on a date unless it's kind of kind of going right. We had a little overtime here. So the, the dessert is like the overtime special where it's like, you know what? I'm cooking right now, but I still got to finish this off. So let's let's bring that waiter back over. We'll go mm-hmm. ahead, get the molten lava cake, and then Ooh. we're going to go ahead. We're going to finish <laughs> this off right and then we're going to go ahead and celebrate with a nightcap afterwards. So I, I like that. I like that. I'm with Will you. Will's date is occurring at Friday's. Oh, dude, that's, that's high, that was a high school Will special, TGI Fridays, right by the fence. If you, if you listen to this in Boston, here, you know what dude. I'm talking you go, about. You're going TGI's here, you're going to be paying, like, I'm like, yeah, the TGI's expensive, I ain't taking no first date to TGI's, you must be crazy. I'm telling you, though, you guys uh, you guys beat me down, man, I'm th- I'm here thinking of a Gruyere cheese, and, uh, you know, it starts off a little bit tangy, but it's all right, then all of a sudden you're like... It's a bit funky, and then the aftertaste hits, and you're like, "Yeah, that's nice, man. Put me some more Gruyere cheese." <laughs> you got here like, "Now nah, it's like, a full like course meal date." <laughs> <laughs> no, but see, <laughs> I'm hungry. But see, sorry, everybody listening, you're probably in the car on the way to work, eating a breakfast bar or a power bar, and thinking to yourself, "These guys need to change the subject." <laughs> or you, or with the reason that you've just pulled into a drive-through somewhere. And you're getting some breakfast burrito. If you are, please. In fact, if this has made you get a breakfast burrito, we would all like to see those pictures. Tweet them at us. Um, okay, takeaways from Jalen Brown's performance. I tweeted mine out earlier today. Um, my takeaway was that it's very clear that Jalen Brown is um, can take another step at being a play finisher, not a self-creation finisher, which is usually what he is, but asking him to be a... Playmaker and facilitator is not really what he is. It's not really who he is. If anyone listened to Monday's episode when I was talking with Greg and we'd done our funky stat of the week and I was like, Jenna Brown's got a career one turnover to one assist ratio. You don't ask that guy to be a long-term playmaker. You ask that guy, like you, you, you get him out in transition. You get him uh, putting, you know, hitting shots off the dribble, hitting dunking, shooting some threes, and that's where Jalen Brown's going to shine. Greg made a really good point of taking another step on defensive end. But I think that game really did kind of make me feel like, yo, this is who this is who Jalen Brown can be. This is be the best version of Jalen Brown. It's just watching that dude have a Gruyere cheese night every day of the week. I like that, the Gruyere cheese night. Um, so for me, when I, when I looked at this game, so this is something I started thinking about uh, probably about middle of December, and just with the schedule being a little weird, we hadn't had a chance to talk about it. But think back to that game that we lost against Philly when Joel Embiid came in and just absolutely shut the door on the Celtics, right? Came in, had three, four possessions towards the end of the game where he said, this game is over. I'm the best player on the court. I'm making sure that my team leaves here with a win. And I started to think about, you know, JT and JB collectively, they've made big shots. So it's not they can't make big shots. They've scored in big moments. But how many times can you really think back to they've kind of had that I'm the best player on this floor, you know, string of of you know, possessions or moments together where it's like, this is our game. I can't let this team lose. And JB kind of had one of those moments before he really got a chance to talk about it. And I really was thinking of it probably more from a JT perspective, but I think it applies to both of them. And so for me seeing that, and then the way that he talked about it after the game, when he's interviewed by scout and it's like, we just needed an effing win. Like that's, that's the type of mentality with the Celtics haven't had against inferior competition, like the magic on nights where it's like, listen, We haven't got to this point, too many turnovers, too many, you know, missed shots, whatever. Like, it it just hasn't been pretty, but none of that matters anymore. It's the fourth quarter. It's overtime. We just got to go get this win. And so seeing JB and come out and have, you know, basically that that alpha performance 
both scoring the ball and then even playmaking at the end with the around the back pass, the shuffle pass to the corner uh, to Al Horford. You know, those were big time plays that was really encouraging for me to see JB take as being that, you know, lead lead scorer on this team when JT's out. Yeah. And Adam, I got to ask you, what were your thoughts as Jalen Brown came down on that fast break, had Grant Williams open for like a three count, took three more dribbles let the defender get back into the play, then threw a behind-the-back pass with Terrence Ross inches from being able to knock that ball away when he could have just had his head up and passed the ball to Grant Williams for a layup like three seconds earlier. How did you feel in that moment on the behind-the-back pass? I felt fantastic. <laughs> no, I was really annoyed. Um, <laughs> like, <laughs> I was. No, I did feel... I felt vindicated in a way. You know, like I still feel that... Like to be an elite play finisher and I, I keep calling it a play finisher because there's a difference between creating your own shot and being an elite finisher and being elite at finishing when somebody else sets the table for you. Right. But like, um, to be an elite finisher overall, you need to be a little bit selfish. I'm not saying you, you hug the ball and go ISO all the time, but sometimes if you think the lane's there, you need to attack the lane, especially when the game's on, uh, on the line, you know? So, I was I was okay with it to a point that when I felt the defense was coming back into it, I was like, "Yo, you need to jump and you need to skip that pass over to Williams." When I saw the rant the behind the back pass, I'm like, "You're stupid!" Like it's like, <laughs> like I'm just like the game like the game's close. We're trying to close it out right now, and you're going with a behind the back pass, which you tried earlier in the game, if I remember correctly, and it just got completely picked off. I'm pretty sure that happened in like the mid first quarter or early second quarter. A, a behind the back just got completely picked off, and I'm like. Dude, that's like me going into the G League, getting an open lane to the rim and going around the back for the right hand finished in transition. Why am I going to do it? There's no point other than for me to be like, look, I could possibly make this and I'm going to look really... But there's no... Fun I want functional basketball at this point. I understand... I've seen too much. Adam, it was it was swaggy. He was feeling himself. It was, it was just it, swaggy it was, in the moment. It was feeling himself when you're 25 moment. points off. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, it was I'm a saying. great moment, but this is something that Adam and I have been talking about, and we've all been in dialogue about this, is Jalen Brown just needs to keep the game simple, and when the game for Jalen Brown is, I'm going to go score the ball, and if I see two bodies, I just need to move it with a fundamental pass, he does a great job with that. That play that I broke down that I posted on our coach's corner, like when, when he drove and kicked the ball to Al Horford in the corner – on time, on target, looks at Al Horford, gives a two-hand chest pass right to Al Horford's chest. That's all you need to do, Jalen Brown. You don't need to be doing around-the-back around passes. And then you can drop your 50 points or your 40 points, your 30 points, whatever it is on that night because you're such a good scorer, and we just want you to lean into that strength. And I thought Jalen was amazing. You know, obviously it happened in a very short amount of time. He wasn't very good up until that fourth quarter. But that's the thing about Jalen Brown that I want to talk about really quickly. Jalen Brown ha is like one of those guys. I I was I tweeted out earlier this year. I actually got to tweet at Seth Partner again because I feel like he could figure this out. Um, NBA Jam, like he's on fire moments. I feel like Jalen Brown, when he hits a couple shots, he's one of those guys that can hit like five shots in a row. And I feel like he does it a significant amount of times. So Jalen, at the end of that game, just got super hot. And it happened in a moment. Normally with Jalen, that happens early in games. And this time it just happened in crunch time, which we, as to Will's point, we haven't very we haven't seen very often. So I was just happy to see JB deliver after a couple games in which he underperformed. You know, a lot of people like Adam and I were saying he couldn't do this or he couldn't do that. But 
at the end of the day, he did what he does best, and that's score the basketball. Yeah, and I I do want to add to that, but I think it's going to step on the game that we're going to play. So I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it alone because I have another thought that goes along with that. Now put the put the four in there, man. People need to know this game anyway. They got. But we want to. Well, why don't you set set the game up for us, and we'll, let's let's start with JT and JB. But but give us the the breakdown of the game first, Adam. Okay, before that, I just want to say that um, talking about that he's on fire moment, if we're talking 2K, Jalen Brown is the definition of the microwave badge. Um, it, it, I feel like, or the spark plug badge, whichever, when that spark plug's off the bench, and it's, yeah, it's the microwave badge. Um, the game we're going to play is called This or That. So it's very simple. We're going to give ourselves two options, and we're going to choose this or that. So I'll give you an example. Do you like burgers... Or baby back ribs. If you had, if you to had choose... said burger, if you had said burgers or hard boiled eggs with habanero <laughs> sauce, I would I would have appreciated it more. <laughs> but I'm I'm gonna go I'm gonna go with burgers all day. <sighs> yeah, I gotta go. Bur- burgers are more consistent. I gotta go burgers. Yeah, I gotta go burgers too. But there we go. We went this or that. So now we're gonna do a basketball version. Evidently, we've turned into a. Food so do we? Do we today. just? So here's my question. Do we just say the thing or do we actually provide analysis? Because if you oh, want two minutes of burgers analysis. over baby back ribs, let's go. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, like we can do a different podcast for that that I'm sure people will tune into for completely separate reasons. Uh, we're 17 minutes in. We're on about 18 different food analogies. Um, but yeah, we're definitely going to dive into it. So I think the first one we're going to start with and we can like we all three of us kind of had different opinions on how we were going to frame this question. So I'd like all three of us to frame it in a way that we, we're kind of thinking about it. That just adds an extra layer of depth. So the, the way I'm thinking about it is floor spacing. So in the starting, well, six men off the bench or who should, in fact, no, who should have the more prominent role within the team? Dennis Schroeder, Peyton Pritchard. And then we'll go into why. So I'm going to go with, I'll start us off. I'm choosing Peyton Pritchard. No Peyton one Pritchard. shot. It's Peyton, it's Peyton Pritchard. Clean sweep. Clean sweep. Peyton Pritchard. Side Dennis Schroeder. I'll pack your bags for you, dude. Um, <laughs> so, okay. So the reason I'm saying I'm leaning Peyton Pritchard is I think that Pritchard's um, showing that he can hold his own on defense for the most part. He, he, You know, there's been times where he switched onto the big and he's waved off somebody scrambling him out of there, uh, allowing a big man to be able to. There was a play against the Magic, actually, where I think it was Car- Wendell Carter Jr. had posted up. I think it was Wendell Carter had posted up um, Pritchard and Al Horford went to scram Pritchard out of there and Pritchard waved him off. So Al Horford um, digged, dug, Al Horford dug, which is kind of like, you know, you stunt at somebody, you take that one step, you're close to him, like you're going to swipe the ball, forced Wendell Carter Jr. to pick the ball up and Wendell Carter Jr. had to kick it back out to the perimeter because he was too far away from the basket to be able to spin off or drop step on Pritchard. And for me, that was smart of Pritchard, knowing that if he waved Al Horford off, Horford to be able to kind of step into that dribble space and force that pick up and then you could kick it back out. It felt like it was just like, you know, so what, Pritchard's playing chess, everybody else is playing checkers for lack of a better analogy. Dennis Schroeder wouldn't do that. Dennis Schroeder's like, yeah, you want to take this guy, go for it. I'll go just hang around somewhere where I can sprint the lane in a minute if they miss. Um, to to me, to me, I think that the issue, Schroeder is a better player, I think. We could all agree on that. Schroeder's probably the the better NBA player in a vacuum than Peyton Pritchard is. Um, Peyton Pritchard, obviously, we all know he provides floor spacing and he he's probably better in that role. To me, it's more along the lines of how I felt about Brad Stevens with Daniel Tice. Like Brad Stevens loved Daniel Tice and just played Daniel Tice. It was like his comfort blanket 
tasted all the things that he wanted to do. He just was super solid and was always in the right place on offense, always in the right place on defense, but didn't really raise the ceiling of the team. And Ime Adoka loves Dennis Schroeder. And his finishing five, probably in his mind, should include Dennis Schroeder. And to me, that's the issue, is that I don't think Dennis Schroeder or Peyton Pritchard should be in the finishing five. But oh, no if, if Dennis Schroeder is on the roster, then I think Ime is going to default to playing Schroeder because I think he likes having that um, next-level quickness on the floor to break down defenses. As Schroeder showed in, in fourth quarter and overtime, he had some real moments in, the, in those moments. But to me... In my opinion, the better finishing five is Smart, Richardson, the Jays, and Lob. Like that's those are the guys that I really like on the floor because of the defensive versatility. And I think Richardson offers at least like some semblance of what Schroeder offers in terms of being able to drive gaps. I think he's a smarter player, moves the ball better, um, probably a better spot up shooter as well. I don't know if the numbers back that up, but I think they would. So that that's my issue is I I don't I don't really care about Schroeder or Pritchard one-to-one it's more like Schroeder versus Richardson in the finishing five yeah I'm, I'm kind of aligned with you on this Greg which is you know not shocking uh but it's it's more of an email issue for me is is where I'm at where Ime just rides Dennis as if he's like one of your your big guns that you have to ride with no matter what and it's just, that's just not the way Dennis's role should be on this team. And what Peyton, and, and because of that, he's blocking minutes that, you know, when healthy, and we'll see what happens if this changes now that most of the team's going to be out of health and safety, if Pritchard's going to be allowed to continue to be part of this rotation. And we've seen, you know, with his play, his ability to stretch the defense, actually create some gravity on offense, be able to start knocking down shots. Now that he's removed the mask, he feels a little bit more comfortable. Like, I think there's a real value add to having Peyton Pritchard out there but if Ime is going to lean on Dennis Schroeder as much as he currently does, it's going to block those minutes for Peyton Pritchard. And we're going to continue to see lineups like you mentioned, Greg, where we have Dennis Schroeder out there at the end of games. Now, I think Dennis Schroeder could still have a very valuable role in this team, but I don't think Ime is going to embrace that. Like, I feel like, you know, Dennis Schroeder going back to the NBA 2K, you know, logos that you mentioned, Adam, like he's a microwave energy type player. Like, I feel like from the end of the first quarter to about the first four minutes of the second quarter of the, excuse me, of the fourth of the fourth quarter, that's like the meaty part that you want to like utilize Dennis Schroeder, help balance your offense, help balance some rim pressure, give guys some breathers, be able to help carry the offense when one of the Jays is out. So you have scoring, but then towards the end of the game, towards the end of the game, he's not the guy that you want out there, but that's not the way Ime is going to utilize him. And I'm giving up hope that Ime is going to adjust and make that adjustment. So in this game, we're going to go ahead and make that adjustment for him, remove Schroeder off the board, and we're going to choose Peyton Pritchard. And that would be my reasoning for it. See, I think Peyton Pritchard is just a more balanced guard overall. Like, I think he, he's more conducive to the system. This is what really perplexes me, right? Like, I don't know if any of you have read the book, and I've spoke about this book before, and there's plenty of great basketball books, but this one uses a terminology that I do like. Uh, have either of you two read Thinking Basketball? Have not. Okay, so there's a notion in thinking basketball called scoring blindness, and it's where a bad player gets a very good reputation amongst the fan base or amongst an NBA, like amongst sections of NBA fans, based on the fact they they score, but they they get buckets. You know what I mean? And I feel like that was Schroeder early in his career with the Celtics. Got buckets consistently, was putting up good numbers on a cheap contract, and everybody was blinded to the defensive lapses, the over-dribbling, and 
as Schroeder's numbers have started to level out, people are starting to recognize like, hey, he runs you, he runs himself into dead ends constantly. He does this rank, he does that rank. Is he a bad player? No, not by any stretch. Is he worth blocking the development of somebody like Peyton Pritchard that can stretch the floor for you, hit freeze in transition, and most importantly, doesn't command the ball as much as what Schroeder does? No, I don't think he's more important. I think developing Peyton Pritchard as your backup point guard in like a TJ McConnell type type role, you know, with like a Fred Van Vliet ceiling that's probably very unattainable if we're being completely honest with ourselves, but working towards getting him as close to that ceiling as possible, that makes more sense to me. It really does. And I know that, um, Greg, you, you likened him, you likened Schroeder to Daniel Tice. I feel like that's blasphemy, man. Daniel Tice. <laughs> like, well, first, German, you know. <laughs> that's yeah. true. Daniel Tice was functional. And that's kind of my word that I'm kind of leaning on this week. And like this kind of now is just very much, I want, I want function over, like I want substance. I don't want somebody that can get to the rim but miss or somebody that gets to the rim and misses two or three good passes. I want functional basketball. Daniel Tice was functional. I think Peyton Pritchard is more functional. I'm going hoarse because I'm getting so upset. (laughs) And then you said uh, Dennis Schroeder comes in and, you know, injects a a bucket load of pace. Dennis Schroeder's not called fast Schroeder. Peyton Pritchard is called fast PP for a reason. The dude's fast. Like, we're just not seeing enough of him in the open floor to to really take uh, advantage of that. Schroeder's just got... Schroeder's... uh, Standing start is faster than what Pritchard is. That's what that's where the downside is for Pritchard. I do I do really like when Pritchard gets to go full speed sprint with the ball. It's one of my favorite moments in any game because he just like he he's he's not I don't I wouldn't say that he's very effective when he's going full speed. It's just kind of fun to watch him run like at that speed. It's great. Yeah. He's like <laughs> he's just like little white dude just beating everybody down the court. And even if he's not beating everybody down the court because he's trying so hard, it looks like he is. Which I get really a bobblehead and throw a bobblehead across the room and get Will to film it, and it will look <laughs> very similar just in the, in the movements through the air. But uh, hey, I, be- I, before I, we before we move off Peyton Pritchard, I'm I'm curious because I was thinking about this earlier today when we were we're talking in our thread about about doing this. And, you know, for me, something I think I'd like to see a lot more is let's take Dennis Schroeder out of the equation for a minute here, whether it's trade, whatever happens. And I'd love to see more Peyton Pritchard and Josh Richardson lineups where maybe Richardson's handling the ball, PP's playing a little bit off the ball, and then you can filter that in with the Jays and Lob or the one of the Jays and Grant Lob, you know, figure out the, the other three parts of that. But I feel like that would be a lineup that I'd like to see more. But I'm curious to know your guys' thoughts. Um, I don't even know if I would want Pritchard with Richardson as much as I would probably just want Pritchard, like Pritchard with Richardson and the Jays in there. I don't think like mm-hmm. Pritchard Richardson as a combo is necessarily something that I want to see more of. Um, but I do want to see Pritchard off ball more with the Jays because I know there are numbers to back that up. Yeah. I don't know what the numbers are, but I know they exist. Um, so that's more of what I want to see is that Pritchard's in the game with Richardson, the Jays, and either Lob or Al, even Grant. You know, I just like yeah. to see like a, those really high level floor spacing lineups. It's just, it's just like we haven't really seen a lot of it. And when we have seen it, it's been like Pritchard, Grant, Sam Hauser. You know what I mean? Like, let's <laughs> put it like our very best floor spacers on the floor with the most talent. So here's a question for you because I'm a big fan of Jay Rich. I think Jay Rich has been excellent this season. But Coming into the season, and I never passed it, this is kind of off the cuff. Coming into the season, at least two of the three of us here were expecting Neesmith to have a big impact this year. Would you like to see 
a lineup, and I'm talking like it's not a blowout, so you're not emptying your bench. You're keeping the two guys in there in case things take a bit of a safe turn. But would you like to see a lineup lug consistent minutes, which means the Celtics win a lot over the next month, of Pritchard, Neesmith, Brown, Tatum, and then Grant at the small ball five or Rob at the five? It just seems like there's so many opportunities for back cuts and 45. It just feels like the floor would be so spaced. But if you need Neesmith to be hitting on a 38, 37% clip for that to work. And to me, I think that lineup probably needs Rob in there because I think you're going to run a lot of action off of him, like up at the high post. I don't think Grant can necessarily do it. Not that he's a bad passer. He's not the level that Robert Williams is because without a pure playmaker on the floor and a pure decision maker on the floor, I think that lineup will lack for a lot of good decision making. Yeah, you're also a little bit small too with with just Grant out there. So I think having Lob or Al in there, I mean, it depends on, of course, the matchup. But, you know, I, I don't know that I'd be, to your point, Adam, if Neesmith, and we have to see how he comes back from health and safety, if he's not knocking down the shots, like which he, to this point in his career, hasn't, I don't want to say he hasn't done it because it's only been a year and a half. But he hasn't done Not it consistently. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I, I wouldn't say I'm dying to see it. But at the same time, I am wanting to see more experimentation when the time is appropriate. So I wouldn't mind seeing it. But I don't know if I'm dying to see it until I feel like, hey, Neesmith is is going to knock down those shots. But you never know until he gets out there. So yeah, and I experiment mean, at some point. That's my problem, right? Like, I just feel like that's a big, a big part of that is not being in rhythm, not having the opportunity. But then... Josh Richardson deserves his spot, and I can't see anybody else that would lose. Romeo deserves his spot over Neesmith, too. So it is what it is at that point. I was just curious. And real quick, Adam, with with uh, Aaron Neesmith, Will and I were lucky enough to have a conversation with Dana Barros, who's one of those Celtics' like all-time best shooters, and we brought up the idea of Neesmith, and we asked him, like, does he think Neesmith is a good shooter? And his his response was actually really interesting. Basically, he said that he he doesn't in a lot of words. He he said that he doesn't like his form and he doesn't like his balance, which is something that um, I I actually see a lot of as well. I think Neesmith is oftentimes just like slightly off balance. Like he doesn't really get the spring in his in his jumper that I think he needs. And that he, there's a lot of variability in the arc on his three point shot. Um, so that's something that I wonder if like Neesmith if he just tinkered with his balance a little bit if we would start to see that three-pointer go down a little bit more because it oftentimes it, it almost looks like he's shooting off his heels rather than off like the middle of his feet if that makes sense yeah his hips never line up with the basket very often and for a movement shooter you want him kind of stepping and turning those hips to face i will say this though barras did tell you that there's only five guys in the league or around about five guys where he's going to say he likes their form so you know there's yeah. another 435 guys that <laughs> he don't really like the way they shoot so, you know, I'm just, just, just to give context, <laughs> just to give context. Uh, next one up in the game is Robert Williams or Al Horford. If you go back to a one big lineup, so a traditional, well, no, a, a modern lineup, I should say, we're running traditional now. 
Who would you want in, as your starting five and why? Rob Williams. Rob Williams. Rob Williams. All right. Cl- clean sweep once again. A, a, the most boring podcast game ever where the hosts agree on absolutely <laughs> everything. Okay, uh, so I'm going out Holford, just, just for the... Uh, pepperoni for pizza the or Hawaiian pizza? <laughs> Hawaiian I pizza. don't know, man, because I do like Hawaiian. I mean, yeah. pepperoni's more steady, but Hawaiian's... If, I'll be real. I probably, probably go Hawaiian more often than not. I, I do like me some pineapple. Oh, you we got it. Over pepperoni pizza? I mean, here's the thing. Are, are we go into like the sub shop on the like like? Do I know the quality going into it? You know what I mean? Like, like if if I don't know the no, quality, no. I'm it, probably it, just a, going with the pepperoni. Yeah, yeah I mean, sure. if I'm going like pizza pocket or like a, a calzone, then it's going to be pepperoni. I don't want yeah. like a I don't want a Hawaiian calzone. Um, <laughs> like the I think you add the pizzas. a onto that calzone. The, the issue calzone. the issue with the Hawaiian pizza is that there's not like a spice to really like balance it out. It's too sweet. Wait, is there this a metaphor be... for Rob and Al now? I, I'm lost. I, I, I mean, actually... you, you were dipping an egg into habanero chili sauce, dude. Where's <laughs> yeah, the Greg's, balance Greg's there? Greg's canceled. Greg's canceled. On and then you find it. Okay. Like, I don't know how you can go habanero chili, chocolate milk. That's a weird combo, bro. Like the, <laughs> you need an antacid after that, dude. Will, Will. Like, I mean, Will and I have lived together before. Like he he knows I have very weird dietary habits. I just like whatever I want to eat, I am going to eat that despite the consequences. But let's get let's stay on let's stay on topic here. We we're talking about Hawaiian pizza. No, no we we're talking we we're talking about Robert Williams versus Al Horford. And to me, I I mean one, Al just like hasn't really shot the ball all that well this year at all. So That's like, an understatement. The theoretical shooting that he provides just hasn't been there. So if he doesn't provide that shooting, the next thing you have to ask yourself, okay, well, who is the more impactful um, offensive like facilitator and connector? And Robert Williams has stepped up his playmaking to the point where he had a triple-double last time he played. So like, what is Al Horford really providing that Robert Williams can't provide? And then then you have to consider Robert Williams' ceiling and the fact that you want to continue to develop this dude to be your long-term starting center where Al Horford's here on a short contract. I think it's a no-brainer. You know, like coming into the season, I think maybe you could have made the argument that you need to start Horford so that you reduce Rob's minutes for his health. But like, hey man, just play play the kid. And just like if if he can't hold up over over a year, then we learn he can't hold up over a year. It's not like we're gonna win a championship anyway this year. We might as well see what he can do if we give him if we give him the minutes. That's a yeah. second set of blasphemic remarks, man. <laughs> they are gonna win a championship this year. How dare you? That in season tournament isn't isn't happening for another couple of hey, years, man. That, that could be something we'll be talking winning. about next year. That's gonna that's gonna be our golden light. We're gonna we're gonna lead the league in in-season tournament victories. Uh we already got one play in championship. Um, but anyways, <laughs> anyways, I would also like I said, I would go I'll go Lob Williams here as well. Uh, I think part of it for me is the chemistry he has with Marcus Smart. I just don't want to break that up. I think the two of them obviously work very well together and we've talked about this the last couple of weeks in in different ways that this team lacks a sort of balance to this to this roster and some of that's just you know roster construction there's not much you can do like I think Brad Stevens upgraded the talent level and didn't really have the room to worry about fit quite yet so it's a work in progress but with what you have you still need to try and find some semblance of balance so I think if you move Al to the second unit you know 
Al has a little bit more, even though that shot is not falling, as Greg talked about, shooting under 30% from three. He still gives you a little bit more versatility. If you give him the ball in the block and, and a mismatch, he has more moves than Rob Williams. So it gives you a little bit more scoring to your bench. And then from that, he's also still a good passer. So if you have him with, you know, say Grant Williams is out there or Pritchard on the second unit, if he gets double teamed or something like that happens, he can move the ball, find the open guy. So I think with, with Al, it gives you a little bit more balance if you leave Lob in that starting lineup, go Al in the second unit where he can potentially provide a little bit of an additional scoring punch as well as still continue to, to keep the ball moving with that second unit. So I like that. The only thing I'd push back on is I do feel like Al at this point in time is a more diverse defensive player. Like I think Al can slide his feet a little bit more. He understands angles uh, really, really well. And I think that we're seeing Rob Williams develop there, uh, especially like, you know, Rob's not biting on as many pump fakes. He's, he's angling guys and kind of running, letting guys run themselves into a bad shot and then react and then taking away that shooting opportunity, which is a great development. Uh, but Al's the master of that. So I, I think that while I do side with you guys, I think you need to give Rob the, the starters minutes, let him play against increased competition level consistently and start running offense through him more regularly. There would be games where, you know, Rob Williams is better suited coming off the bench. When you're up against an Embiid or a Jokic or an elite guy like that, or, you know, or even a Hassan Whiteside, somebody that's just going to dislodge Williams, then having Al Horford and swapping him into the starting five makes a ton of sense. But that would be on a on a matchup basis rather than on a role change basis. I don't know if you guys would agree there. Well, I think it was interesting. The last time um, against the Suns was the first time that I actually saw Robert Williams like really get into somebody's head, like a star player thinking about driving to the basket, and that was Devin Booker. Devin yeah. Booker wanted nothing to do with Robert Williams anywhere near the rim, and you could see anytime he drove, I think a large part of the reason why Booker had such a crappy performance is because Robert Williams was there in the paint waiting to block his shot or at least threatened to block his shot. It actually reminded me, I wasn't in the building for this game but I was in the building for this game that Will and I you know were there and we saw Dwight Howard on the Magic completely get into the entire Boston Celtics roster and it was it game seven Will or game six that was, in, uh, in like that was the, the Stephon Marbury game it was, uh, I think it was game Marbury six game. it wasn't game seven because we lost but I think it was game six but Dwight Howard, all he had to do was just like look in the direction of someone who was thinking about driving to the paint and they would pull up and just like take a ridiculous shot versus trying to challenge him at the rim. And Devin Booker was was completely out of the game just because of Robert Williams's presence near the rim. So although, yes, I agree, Al is probably more versatile defender, the level to which Rob can affect the game, um, we saw glimpses of that in that Phoenix Suns game. So that that is what I want. I want guys that I call I call Robert Williams Bitcoin Bob because I think he just like can take the Celtics to a whole nother level, right? He's the one guy on the team where if he's playing to his utmost potential, I think all of a sudden we stop talking about the Celtics as a playing team and start talking to them as like a potential home court advantage team in the playoffs. Question is though, just to push back, if DeAndre Ayton's available or JaVale McGee's available, does Robert Williams still get inside Devin Booker's head? That's a great some, point. Where there's somebody so, there to contact, like to keep him occupied. 
That that is a great point. So as you were listing off those names when you said Hassan Whiteside, the next name that literally popped up in my head was JaVel McGee. Because yeah. I think JaVel McGee is one of those guys that like kind of has a bad reputation amongst the casual fan just because of his like early career antics. But he's very, mm-hmm. very he's he's very, very effective, especially on the Phoenix Suns. And he's ginormous. He's like seven foot two and he's got like a seven foot eight wingspan or whatever it is. So yeah, I agree. I agree with that statement. He's also vegan, if I recall, which is a uh... Yeah, JaVale McGee's got a wild career, man. He's like pretty much like to your point, Greg, his early career is just marked by Shaq and a fool. Like that's just like all yeah. anyone remembers from him. Did you but know this? Oh, go ahead. When he bit back at Shaq, Shaq stopped doing it. I forget what happened with that. I I didn't like uh I can't I I do remember he pushed back and then Shaq Shaq stopped. But I feel like the mothers got involved or something. I feel like it was something weird happened. <laughs> you know, you know what's hilarious, Adam, about JaVel McGee? So my buddy Steve Yee, who runs I was gonna bring a, this up, but I wasn't a, sure if we could. <laughs> yeah, a production company called Wood Island Media. He actually filmed it's it's I don't think it's ever gonna be released, but he actually filmed like a a documentary of LeBron James signing with the Los Angeles Lakers. He has like all this crazy, crazy footage. Um, but he, when he moved to LA was paid, like was well, promised $50 to film JaVel McGee and Nick Young doing the cinnamon challenge. So like JaVel McGee and he was literally there filming that. I don't know if you've seen that video, but it was like a viral clip of them doing the cinnamon challenge and they stiffed him on the 50 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> that's not fun. that's that's LA for you dude man you move there with hopes and dreams get sold a promise and end up <laughs> moving back home with nothing but a tough pick to your name <clears throat> I'd still do it 10 times out of 10 that sucks though final one final one man I can't believe you get imagine that a millionaire just stiffs you on a $50 bill that nah, couldn't be me bro couldn't it's be me beat. yeah it's a uh, it's unfair I'm, Robert Williams would have his way with Javelin McGee in the next game if Robert Williams <laughs> knew this. Rob would be like, nah, I ain't having it. Right. Closing games <clears throat> as your primary scorer, or you know, do you know what? As your number and your numerate Uno, Jen and Brian, Jason Tatum. Both. Now you Good have answer. to choose one. No cop out. No, nah, I'm cheating, bro. I, I just got to help and safety. I'm I'm on my Drake, you only live once. I'm doing no, what I want. I'm calling bro, both. man, I recorded a week ago and I was nearly dead. <laughs> so here, here's my thing. Like when Jason Tatum is hot, I feel like the ball needs to be in Jason Tatum's hands. If it's just like, a, if, if, like if Jason is struggling in the game, then I think you go to Jalen Brown. You know what I mean? But I think the first option should probably be Jason Tatum. Um, but if it's one of those games in which Tatum just doesn't have it, there's no reason to just force feed Tatum. That's when I think you can give the ball to Brown. I think that is the luxury of having two borderline all-stars. Did you guys listen to the Zach Lowe podcast with Chris Herring? And he said that they both said that neither Tatum or Brown would be on their all-star team. Well, they said maybe it would be one or the other potentially getting the last spot. Is kind of what, what no, they're they looking said, at. No, did they, they, did they, they, said, fish? they said they would they were they were like the last of the like last five candidates, mm-hmm. they were like the last of the five candidates. They said they could potentially play their way into that last spot, but as of now, neither yeah. of them would have them as the final guy. In the I roster. mean, let's be fair. I'm not say, shocked I'm by that, to be honest. Like, yeah, I'm like if I'm taking the my objectivity out of things, like Zach Levine jumped ahead in terms of production this season. Jalen Brown and Tatum have both had like real long stretches of struggles. To t- you know, two all-star guys and their team are like fighting for a playing spot. Just two of them. 
You only need one more. You're meant to be able to challenge for a championship too. You should be able to get you to the fourth, four, fifth seed. So, you know, you, it's guaranteed. You, like, it's easy to understand why they they might miss yeah. out. I still think Tatum gets the nudge. I that's, remember it. That's where I'm at, Adam. And like, yeah. you know, th- this morning it was funny because like before I even knew that podcast was coming out, I was just kind of, you know, having some tea this morning, you know, kind of going through <laughs> like, you know, hey, I had a sore throat, man. I had to, had to have a little bit of tea. So I have I'm tea just going, every day, man. Dude, I, I wish I liked tea more. Like, I only drink it when I'm sick, but like, it's just kind of, kind of common. So, so, so true like story, it. just uh, before you jump back into your discussion. Yeah, go ahead. Brendan, you know, my boy Brendan used to do yeah, a pod with me. The to, yeah, my boy. Um, when we first started podcasting together, first started like, you know, talking off off air and stuff and like really kicking it. I, I ended he ended up asking me to teach him how to make tea like an English person. So like um, you know, I had to send him a picture of the tea bags to buy and he had to go out and find them. And then like I had to basically record a video of how I made a cup of tea, like like down to like what I do with the milk and the sugar and like right to the very end to where it's drinkable. And uh, he never drank tea. He hated it. Like he was like, you was like, I'm not a fan. He, he drinks like three or four cups a day. It's like Sudeikis. <laughs> He's just a, uh, so man, I'll show you, I'll show you a video and then you can, uh, you can up your tea game and, and you'll be feeling right as rain by. All right. Day. Well, that, that's going to, that's coming to you guys soon. So make sure you're following us. On, oh no, uh, only with you. I'm not sure. Only with me. Oh, come on, man. We got to share with everybody here. I mean that because then why are they gonna listen? Well, I'll tell you what. Let, let me let me let me try it out first. I'll I'll be the taste tester. We'll see we'll see how it goes, yeah, we and then we'll you. then we'll decide if we want to go ahead. And can share I it can with, I ask uh, one more tea everybody. question? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> tea time. <laughs> okay. Do you do you, do you dip um like shortbread cookies into your tea? Yeah, sometimes. Like butter for real. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes, like um, depends how I'm feeling. Like it's not something I do all the time. Like you know, it's uh, probably like once a week. I might if I've got some 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 tea and biscuits like if i've got some some cookies like we call them biscuits around over here we've got some biscuits lying around the house if the kid ain't eating them then uh yeah i might take a few and dip them into my tea but it's not something that i go out of my way to do i love it it's one of my favorite things to do do you, uh there's one thing out here called uh they're, they're australian actually um tim tams i think they're called and <laughs> they're um, the second time you brought up tim tams <laughs> on the show so yeah because oh yeah because it was you guys did you remember i've never had yeah. one so i ended up after that show i ended up asking about them like i ended up asking a few people right and uh, apparently what you do they're chocolate covered cookie so it's like a cookie with a layer of chocolate over and a layer of chocolate in the middle and you buy it off it, like diagonal ends so you bite off one corner and then diagonally you bite off the other corner then you put it in the tea and you drink your tea through the cookie so the chocolate mounts into the tea as you're as you're sucking the tea through right and then once you once it loses its structural integrity you eat it and do it with the next one and i'm just like yeah i need to try this dude i've never tried this <laughs> but like <laughs> i have no idea what the hell this podcast is about anymore <laughs> <laughs> Oh, two times, dude. I've looked at them. I've tried to find them. We have some that similar called custard creams. Can we get sponsored Wait. by Tim Tams? You know what's you know what's funny is like you guys. I I think are you both of you sick right now? Because I feel like both of you are kind of get the sniffles a little bit. So I had COVID and then uh, I just like I'm better, but like my chest hasn't recovered properly. You know, what I mean? but because, I'm, in, be- I'm in my quarantine period. Because of the way that your voices sound, at times it almost sounds like you've just like taken a hit. Oh man, I'm telling you, dude. I'm telling you, like uh. 
custard creams google them anybody that's listening that you can do the same thing bite off a corner of each side and drink your tea for it and you get cream with your tea like moving on so we've done Jalen brown and jason tatum i think we've all like said like you know so jason tatum's your number one guy if he's not hot then you move on to Jalen brown if Jalen brown's not hot then you move on to a very special basketball player named romeo real quick adam this is so this is the point that greg was talking about the nba jam stat earlier this is that's this is kind of the the this or that that i didn't want to want to step on too much because that's where I was in my mind there needs to be kind of a balance of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown because when Jalen gets in that mode like you need to get the ball to Jalen even though I think Jason yeah. on, a, on a normal night is probably your first option because he can do a little bit more we've talked about you know his playmaking has started to get a little bit better even though it's not elite like I, I think Jason Tatum's got to be your first option but those nights when JB's going NBA jam mode he's got to make sure that he's touching that rock yeah, I completely agree. I'm there. I'm I'm completely down. Uh, I think that when Jalen Brown's hot, there's not many better finishers in the league. There's not many better scorers in the league. Jalen, when Jalen Brown's ready to play, he can score from where, however and wherever he wants. He's just not as consistent with it as what Tatum is. And I think that Tatum handles the pressure better than what Brown does, simply because Tatum's had to play through that pressure more. So I've got one last this or that for you. Didn't share it with you. Brad Stevens or Ime Udoka? Stevens, Stevens, Stevens. Yeah, I, I genuinely believe that anybody that wanted Stevens gone has now created a shrine to Stevens and just literally like, um, what's it called? Like, not sacrifices, but like a gift. What do you call it? I'm like not gift saying to it's the a, gods. Yeah, they're just like leaving like, um, I can't remember what the word would be because it wouldn't be a sacrifice. Offerings? Yeah, offering, it'd be like, yeah, it'd be an offering. Yeah, they're just leaving offerings of basketball books. I've got um, I've got a plethora of basketball books that make you really, really good understand basketball in multiple different ways, and then you forget you've read them and have to go back. I'm pretty sure that people are offering these books to Stevens. Like, please come back, please. I think Udoka's doing quite well, to be fair, in the circumstances he's got. But I'm just not sold that he's he's the guy to be able to take. Like, you know, if you gave Udoka one more star. And two more veterans. Do you and good veterans? We're talking. Do you really think he could lead them to a championship? I just don't think his adjustments are there. I'm dreading seeing him in the playoffs with how slow he is to adjust. I'm just hung up on your description of him as doing quite well. Like, what does quite well mean to you? <laughs> quite well means to me that at the moment there hasn't been a, a Nate Bjorken report where everybody yeah. hates him. Hmm. That's fair. If, okay, I mean, that's if that's pretty your, low bar. <laughs> I was gonna say, if that's your standard, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I guess he's doing that. I mean, I feel like with Ime, like at least right now, because to your point, Adam, which we've talked about over and over, the lack of a, of adjustments from from game to game, quarter to quarter, what it, you know, whatever it may be. For me, it, I, I do feel like you know, because I want to give him a little bit of credit. I think incrementally at times he's seen to make progress. It usually tends to regress, but it does seem at times that he's, he's made, that he's made some progress and he did, you know, we've talked about this. This team does have a defensive identity last year. They just felt like they were kind of in the abyss. No, not, not really an identity. This team does have at least a certain identity that for most nights you can kind of hang your hat on. And so I feel like if you gave him, parts because this is the biggest issue for me is he has an imperfect roster and I don't think he has any clue of how to adjust to them to make them to make them work well together so if you found a way to give him a more balanced roster with parts that fit in a little bit easier 
he might be able to make that work. But as you can see, I'm, I'm kind of stretch Armstrong in a little does, bit here does he to, have, to try like, and give him. Okay, he doesn't have a perfect roster, but does he have an imperfect roster? Like, I feel I like so. if you just play, like, if you play the right nine guys, then you have most of the pieces of what you need. Like, maybe you're, like, one piece away. But, like, in a vacuum, if you if you told me I have Peyton Pritchard, Josh Richardson, the Jays, Al Horford, Robert Williams, Grant Williams, Marcus Smart, like, I'm already at seven or eight there, you know what I mean? And then, then yeah, I have but, like, but you still, I mean, you still, my, my point is being like, you still have like Al Horford and Marcus Smart who are shooting under 30%. Like you're still going to be missing shooting. Like you're still going to be, there's still going to be like for him, he's looking for guys that can play both ways. So if he doesn't consider Peyton Pritchard enough of a defender, that's like, you know, there's, there's different parts there that you, you have to kind of maneuver the the team to, to balance out. So, I mean, I, I just, I think he's done a poor job of it as we're, as, as we're talking about, but you know, I, I don't know. It's, it's in the eye of the beholder, maybe. I mean, yeah, I, if John ahead, Legend, Adam. if John Legend can love somebody with all their perfect imperfections, then <laughs> uh, then Udoka needs to fall in love with this team's perfect imperfections. Man, I had to Google the name of that song and who sang it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but now, nah, for serious, man, I think that you know Brad Stevens had an imperfect roster for a large portion of yes. his coaching time in Boston and he'd done a far better job. Now the difference is we're remembering, coach. <laughs> well, we're remembering Brad Stevens year three and above his first year. He got out coached quite consistently. Do you know what I mean? He struggled with his rotations. He made decisions a little bit late. There was a time at the beginning of Brad Stevens coaching era where we were saying that pretty much the same things that he was slow to adjust. We did feel yeah. like it, one step forward, three step back. So that's kind of why I'm like, I don't want to jump in on this. Udoka's a bad coach, but I do want to jump in on this. Udoka has spoke very much about people needing to develop and take accountability. And I just feel like Udoka's not developing. Uh, but again, like I said, I remember Steven struggling early on. So I, yeah, I and that's a great point, Adam. And I think the the biggest difference is the the expectations that go along with it. Because when Steven's yeah. inherited this team, we had just cut everything out. We had made the the trade with KG and Pierce. We cleaned house. You know, Rondo was the only one left over, and he was gone halfway through that first season. So the fact that Stevens got them back to the playoffs in his second year, and then you know things kind of took off from there, he far exceeded that. We we, we thought it was going to be a multi-year rebuild, and Stevens you know accelerated that process and had the opportunity to make mistakes. Whereas Ime is inheriting a team that had two All Stars, and you know the year before we were in the play-in three out of four years, Eastern Conference, and you still have remnants of that team from Marcus Smart, Al Horford, you know, even though he left and came back, the Jays, you had that foundation. So he's working from a far different set of expectations than what well, he's had to deal with. This is what Brooklyn did right, you know? Like, they hire a first-time head coach in Nash. Nash is walking into multiple all-stars, a big ego. What do you do? You go and bring in D'Antoni to, to help guide him through his first year. Then D'Antoni leaves. He goes to the Pelicans to help uh, Willie Reed through his first year in New Orleans. You know what I mean? That's not working out too well over there neither. But like, Udoka's coming in as a first-time head coach. It's not a rebuilding team. It's a team with real expectations. Why not go, why not even now reach out to somebody like um, like a Lloyd Pierce or someone like and try and bring in a, a, an ex-head coach as your number one assistant to help you just kind of help like show you when your adjustments kind of push push you along in your individual development you see rookies get given vets all the time vets try and bring rookies along why not try and bring in one of those head coaches a Nate McMillan or somebody 
Uh, yeah. I think coaching now though. I think there? that opens up a, a whole nother can of worms though, man. Like with Dan Tony, he almost doesn't have aspirations to be a head coach in the league again, right? He like this is kind of the point in his career where he understands like, hey, I don't really want that pressure of being a head coach. I'm just going to be an assistant coach, you know, and kind of help out. If you bring in a guy that still wants to be a head coach and has previous head coaching experience, then the narrative becomes like, oh, why do we even need Amadoka? Let's just like have this guy take his place, you know? Yeah. So I, I, I think that's to, a little difficult. It happened with Jason Kidd and Vogel, but mm-hmm. it ended up working out towards the championship. Do you sure. know what I mean? Like yeah. sometimes like, uh, like the narrative on the outside isn't always what's happening on the inside. Like um, if I'm looking at it like, uh, okay, so maybe you do go down that route. What happens about reaching out to Van Gundy that lost his job in New Orleans? Maybe he doesn't want to lead the team, but you know, you've got somebody there that's, going to be a bit innovative, help you figure out different ways. It's just having somebody else that's led a team give you their opinion on how to alter your rotations, how to alter your timeouts, your ATOs, and Lord knows Udoka needs help with those ATOs, them out-of-bounds plays as well. Um, so I, I don't know. It's just it's just a thought. Why not try and bring somebody in just to help kind of not hold his hand, but push we him in the right Brad direction? Stevens. We have Brad Stevens. Yeah, but Brad <laughs> <Just> Stevens... <laughs> Just have him come down and like be an yeah. assistant coach for a few games. Brad Stevens be like, right, this is what you're doing wrong. Here's a thesaurus of everything that you're doing. I've re, I've, I'm going to keep it as it is, but I'm just going to do little tweaks and name it slightly different. So it's still my playbook. Uh, right, we've rambled on for a lot of food and um, a lot of food takes. I feel like we've played this or that. I've enjoyed this. I don't know if the listeners have enjoyed it, but me personally, I dude, the three man we the three man weave is America's favorite podcast. <laughs> it brings the goods every yeah. time. Yeah, I, I'm I'm completely with it. It's the uh, we're, we're gonna soon find a sponsor with the shawarma the shawarma truck. Um, <laughs> point, baby. point. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Right, everybody, if you've been listening to the show, scroll down, follow those five stars, hit those five stars. It's going to go gold. That's like giving us a gold star. You remember when you was at school and you did something awesome and someone gave you a gold star and you felt amazing. That's how we feel every time. Just just project those happy emotions onto us by hitting those five stars. Scroll a bit further down, write something nice. The Free Man Weave is the best podcast that was ever invented. I don't even know who this Joe Rogan guy everyone's talking about is. And then if you don't have an iPhone or an Apple device, that's completely fine. You know, everybody's different. Go over and listen. No. Yeah. Greg and Will are going to take it in turns to tell you exactly what to do. I, I did it the last time through, man. We've happened. It's all you, buddy. Yeah, man. So, you know, when you go to your local tea connoisseur, when you go to pick up your <laughs> Tim Tams, when you go, <laughs> when you go to your barbershop, wherever it may be, you, whoever you you're talking to, your eggs. when you hard boil your eggs, you go pick up your habaneros, you know, wherever you're going out in the world, make sure you're being safe and responsible, but you're telling them to go check out the Celtics blog podcast. Go hit up the three man weave with Adam Taylor, Will Weir, Greg Manakis coming at you, baby. Tune in and turn up. Habanero sauce to everybody. <laughs> Happy birthday, Dad. Happy birthday, Mr. Manakis. Disrespecting you, hate. Is I ain't sweating your opinion. Y'all been testing my patience. Never did it for a check. I've been impressed with the famous. Just rather be creative than stressing my wages. Ageless every time I lay a verse down. One play at a time. Keep it moving like a first down. And at the end of the day, I can say that I made this. MJ never made it to the major. Still, he chased greatness. Expected that he might fail. And I might too. I might never get to pop champagne.